Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm going to do something a little bit different in this episode than anything that I've done in the past. We're actually going to look at two clips, two brief videos that I recently came across just kind of scrolling through uh, Facebook or whatever it was, probably Facebook. A couple of clips that I came across recently, one from comedian Pete Holmes and one from renowned astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. So very kind of a different spectrum there on what we're going to be looking at. But both of these clips just kind of came into my world this week as I was just kind of, again, scrolling through. And they both struck me as soon as I saw the the clip from Pete Holmes, I said, I need to do something with that. I need to look at that. I need to react to that. I want to talk about that. Uh, and then when I saw the clip from Neil deGrasse Tyson, um, it kind of struck me in a different kind of a way. So we're going to talk a little uh, creation, creationism, evolutionism. We're going to talk a little bit about the goodness of God and some different things in this episode as I just kind of look at some of these clips and talk about them. So thank you guys so much for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, share a comment, or leave a review on one of the podcast platforms. That really helps me out a lot. So thanks so much. In so, all right, the first thing that I want to look at here. Uh, so comedian Pete Holmes. Now I'm just to be honest with you, I'm not super familiar. I actually do watch quite a bit of comedy, but I'm not super familiar with Pete Holmes. But this clip came across, I don't know, ultimately what, what Pete Holmes, what he believes, what his politics are what his if he's religious at all if he is I, I i truly have no idea but in this clip he's kind of talking about atheists and the atheist perspective of there being no god and how little sense that makes and sometimes for me it's it's helpful some of the most helpful things that i've ever heard have come from non-believers non-christians honestly to hear their perspective on Christianity or to hear their perspective on some of these things even that that most Christians would disagree with and to kind of get the perspective of somebody who might not necessarily be in our same camp or grew up with the same beliefs or or thought processes or whatever and so that's something that's generally helpful to me but Pete Holmes gave I what I think is just the most brilliant I mean it was it's funny it's hilarious but he just gave just a brilliant perspective i think on uh what it actually is to be an atheist and so it's really funny there is some language in it so just disclaimer before we get there i'm going to do my best to kind of you know edit out the language for the sake of uh of my listeners because usually there isn't a whole lot of bad language on this podcast <laughs> i can't say always but usually there's not so I'll do my best, but I can't promise that nothing's going to slip through there. So we're going to go ahead and watch this clip together. Some people think God created the universe. Some people think nothing created the universe, which is the funniest guess. <laughs> and the nothing people make fun of the God people. They say God doesn't exist. I'm like, okay, maybe. But you know what definitely doesn't exist? Nothing. This is honestly hilarious. And this is something that I've talked about several times. Well, I remember talking about this recently on the podcast recently, probably a couple of months ago or something like that. The idea that what we believe as Christians is harder to believe or harder to have faith for or harder to wrap our minds around than what the common atheist perspective would be or the common evolutionary perspective or whatever. 
And I love the fact that he's just kind of pointing fun at this. Again, I have no idea what he believes. I don't know what camp he's in. I don't know if he believes in God or not. I have no idea. But the fact that he's kind of comparing these two things and saying, yeah, it's a little bit crazy to, to believe in in what we believe as Christians, right? Like it's it's we definitely need faith for that. We need faith to believe that there's a, an all-powerful God who exists, who created everything that you and I know that we experience, who created all this, who set all this up, that a man died on the cross, rose from the dead. But the only reason that we think that that is I that people think, I should say that that is far-fetched or hard to believe or impossible is because we're thinking from an earthly perspective, right? Like we're thinking from this perspective of where we're so finite and we know all these limitations, but obviously if God does exist and he is all powerful, then he's outside of those limitations. And so that's not really an argument there that, that makes, you know, really any kind of sense. And, and, and I pointed out uh, in whatever that episode was if, if a couple of months back, when I was talking about creation and evolution and all of that, what I pointed out is there is so much fine tuning in the universe. There is, I mean, everything in creation is fine tuned. Every single cell in your body is so finely tuned that it points to a creator. And so what I was pointing out in that podcast episode was it's not, it's not more far-fetched to believe in what Christianity believes to, to attain to the values, to attain to that belief system that we serve a God who is eternally self-existent, who created the heavens and the earth, who created everything that we see on this planet. Like that, that is not as far-fetched as believing that everything got here by accident. And so this is what Pete Holmes is discussing here. He's saying, you know, what's actually the craziest belief is to believe that all of this came from nothing. So let's go ahead and, and just uh, keep watching here. Defining characteristic of nothing is that it doesn't exist. So what are we talking about? Either you think it's God, something you can't see, touch, taste, photograph, and science can't prove, or you think it's nothing, something you can't see, touch, taste, photograph, and science can't prove. But okay. So right there, he's saying either you believe what most Christians would believe, that, that there's a God who we can't necessarily see. We've never met him physically in person or anything like that. And, and so, you know, that's one thing that that's that's the one belief that usually gets made fun of. Usually they, they poke a lot of fun at that. But the alternative which is much more widely accepted as far as science goes and as far as the world structure of thinking and all of that is that this all came from nothing because the further you trace this thing back, if we believe that all of this came into existence from a big bang and then over billions of years and whatever, that everything kind of came into shape and evolution took place and everything evolved and eventually upgraded. And we went from single-celled organisms to multi-celled organisms and then from there it was just kind of this evolutionary process that continued to go and and then everything ultimately ended up where we are today but over a period of billions of years and then what they'll talk about in that in order to explain that and to make sure that it makes sense is to say that because everything that that potentially the universe is is vastly infinite They'll say in either either it could, it could be that it's infinite or at least it's incredibly large that 
it would make sense that there are planets in existence like Earth that just kind of got it all right, that we were just the right distance from a star, that we were just the right distance from a moon, that we have the, the right atmospheric concentration and all this kind of stuff in order to sustain life on Earth, that we are essentially just a cosmic accident. But even if you buy into that, you still have to eventually trace it back to, well, where's the origin? What's the beginning? And ultimately, it's the what's commonly known as the Big Bang. The Big Bang, if, if, the, if this Big Bang happened that ultimately created everything that we see and know and experience in daily life, what started it? What was the catalyst? What was there before there was anything? And this is what Pete Holmes is, is pointing fun at, is poking fun at this, is that is that ultimately it came from nothing. And if you believe that everything came from nothing, he says, that's actually the funniest answer. That's actually the funniest option. It's the most absurd option. God and science are not opposite. Science actually proves God if we don't come with these preconceived notions that say, well, God definitely does not exist right? Like if we come with an atheistic presupposition and we say that God does not exist, then we've got to create all of these other things to prove that point that we're trying to make because we've come in with a bias that says there is no possibility that there's a God. So we reason and we do all of these things that we do to try to arrive at different conclusions. And ultimately it just doesn't work. It doesn't really make sense at the end of the day because there is so much fine-tuning in the world, in every cell of your body, in every blade of grass, in every newborn baby, in everything that exists, that, that, that exists as part of this world that we live in, there is so much intricacy and design and fine-tuning that it actually is a better argument. Even if we want to like take out the spirituality and take out Christianity, my position here is that it is a better argument to say that someone, a creator, designed all this, created all this, implemented all this. I just believe that that is a better argument than to say all of this came from nothing. Let's keep going here. I think we can all agree, if nothing, if your nothing sometimes spontaneously erupts into everything, that's a pretty magical thing, you guys. <laughs> and ask, ask the nothing people, what happens when you die? They'll tell you, nothing. You go into nothing. I'm like, you mean you merge back with your creator? This is so good. <laughs> that's heaven, bitch. <laughs> all right i don't know if i was able to get all of those uh profanities bleeped out or not so if anything got through there i do apologize <laughs> i couldn't do anything for those of you watching i couldn't do anything about the ones that are up on the screen but at least uh in the podcast world hopefully i was able to get those bleeped out for you but anyway so here's <laughs> i'm trying to be i'm trying to be serious after after watching that but it's like i just love that that Pete Holmes is is making fun of this because usually it's the other way around, right? Like usually it's the Christians that are being made fun of for believing in a big man in the sky. And of course, when they make fun of it, they they 
paint that kind of a picture, right? Like, oh, so you believe in this big man in the sky who created everything, who has this long white beard and all that kind of stuff. And like they use this kind of, of course, very traditional picture understanding kind of child understanding of who God is and what he looks like and sitting up there on a cloud and all that sort of thing to try to paint us into a, a corner to try to paint put us into a box that's ultimately a joke right to say you guys are crazy you guys are silly you guys are delusional for thinking that this is that this could actually be real but I love that Pete Holmes is kind of playing devil's advocate, so to speak, and he's taking on the other side of the argument and he's saying, you guys are just as crazy. And actually, I think you're more crazy to believe that all this came from nothing. There is so much beauty, so much perfection in this world that you and I live in. I mean, the, the if you could just break down the composition of a single cell in your body and what holds those cells together in order for your body to like be held together and actually function according to its design and structure there is so much intricacy that goes into that with proteins and amino acids and all this kind of stuff that on a biological level i have no idea what i'm talking about but i know that it's crazy intricate and it's not just that it's in in intricate design it's the way that it all has to be held together to function together. Because if one of those proteins is wrong, it, it just doesn't work. And to think that a child can be formed in his or her mother's womb and to start as an embryonic sac or whatever, and to go through this process of growth and cellular production and development and the growth of tissue and organs and all of this over a period of, of generally speaking, you know, nine months or whatever, to go through this process to be birthed and then to grow and, and like this whole process of life coming about that that could happen by accident and that it all came from nothing and that these processes of life flow and function the way that they do today out of nothingness, like to me, that position takes way more faith <laughs> than what people who hold to a traditional view of creation believe. So anyway, I just wanted to point that out. I had fun with it. I thought it was, I thought it was funny. So hopefully you enjoyed that. Now this next one, next clip that I wanted to look at, I do think these things kind of relate together. At least I'm going to try to kind of connect these thoughts, these themes together. But Neil deGrasse Tyson, I, I don't know whether he considers himself an atheist or not. I've heard him talk many times. I've seen him a few handful of times on Joe Rogan's podcast, and uh, I've seen many of his clips and just different things that he's discussed and that sort of thing. And he's an interesting guy. He's really a uh, uh, he he's a fascinating guy and he's brilliant. So he's an astrophysicist and he's a writer and he's kind of like, like the guy, you know, he's kind of like in this country anyway, he's like the, our guy, he's like our science guy. He's kind of, to me, uh, like the Bill Nye of this generation. Right. So I grew up and it was like Bill Nye, the science guy. He was like the guy who made science fun, who made science cool. I think Neil deGrasse Tyson is doing that today in many ways. He's making science cool. He explains things in a certain way where you listen to one of his videos and you're like, oh, man, I never thought of it like that before. Or I never knew that. He explains something that's really he's got this gift, I think, for taking complicated 
topics and subjects and things that just scientifically they're very difficult to understand. And I think he takes them and he distills them down into like common language and he makes stuff fun and he makes it exciting to learn about science. And so I, 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 I think he's great. I think he's a, a, a wonderful uh, human being just from what I've seen of his from a distance and all that sort of stuff. I don't really know exactly. I know he's definitely wouldn't identify as a Christian or anything like that. I don't know whether or not he identifies as an atheist or as an agnostic or whatever his actual position is. He's I've, I've heard him speak where he's been, uh, I would use the word charitable toward Christians and charitable toward the uh, toward the assumption or the belief that, you know, God does exist and that sort of thing. So anyway, in this particular interview, he is talking to he's being interviewed by Chelsea Handler. And Chelsea Handler asked him a question, and I don't know what preempted this, what was going on before, because, again, this was just a clip that came across my feed. And in, But in this interview, the question is proposed to him, so do you believe in God? And so what we're going to watch now is Neil deGrasse Tyson's response to the question, do you believe in God? So let's go ahead and watch this clip from uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. Any description of God that I've heard holds God to be all-powerful, very typical, and all-good. And then I look around and I see a tsunami that killed a quarter million people in Indonesia, an earthquake that killed a quarter million people in Haiti, and I see earthquakes and tornadoes and disease, childhood leukemia, and I see all of this and I say, I do not see evidence, both of those being true simultaneously. If there is a God, the God is either not all-powerful or not all-good. So obviously I have a huge problem with this. This is not the first time I've heard this. Actually, the first time I've heard this, I don't know if you guys have ever seen the movie uh, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> so in Batman versus Superman, uh, where Lex Luthor's character, by the way, overall, not, not, not the best movie, but, I think Lex Luthor, played by, what's his name, Jesse Eisenberg. Um, I think he did a phenomenal job. He's a fantastic actor, and I think his performance was incredible as Lex Luthor. He's my favorite Lex Luthor of all time. But uh, anyway, that's just my opinion. I think he was fantastic. He was, the to me, the redeeming quality of that movie. But anyway, Lex Luthor in the movie, he makes pretty much that exact same statement. Lex is basically at this moment where he's exerting power. He he found a way to essentially exert power and dominance over Superman, which is crazy because Superman can crush him in a second. But he found a way to get an upper hand on Superman. And he's basically got Superman, you know, on his knees. And the idea in this movie is that Superman for all of the people he's he's really being portrayed as as a they're wondering it's kind of the conversation is Superman a god is Superman you know is he ultimately is he beneficial to us or not he's so powerful that of course people look at him like he's a god and he's an alien so he came from another planet he can fly away and leave earth in an instant he can come and go as he pleases he can do anything. 
and they look at him like he's a god. And so there's this conversation. Is he good? Is he bad? Blah, blah, blah throughout the movie, because even though he's trying to do good things, a lot of destruction follows. It's the, the classic thing in all the superhero movies that where there are these superheroes that it ultimately invites conflict. It invites supervillains to come and attack to exert their dominance and all of that kind of stuff. And so it's that sort of thing. Superman is here on Earth. He's here to protect people, but he's these villains are attacking and in the throes of the battle, things are getting destroyed. People are probably being killed and all that kind of stuff. So it's that sort of question, that sort of dilemma. It's a very dark movie. If you not watch the DC movies, they have a much darker feel to them than the Marvel movies. And uh, the music is really intense, like all throughout this movie. It's a really loud movie. It's just like there's elements of it that I think are really, really cool. But ultimately, that's kind of like the question going on there. And so there's people that think that Superman is a god. And one of the things that Lex wants to do is he wants to expose him. Um, and he wants to have everything. He really wants world domination is ultimately what he wants. He says this thing. When he's on the roof talking to Superman, he says, I realized a long time ago that if God is all powerful, he cannot be all good. And it's the exact same assumption that Neil deGrasse Tyson just made in that clip that we just watched. He says, when I look around and I see the tsunamis and I see children, you know, dying early and getting diseases and I see all of the atrocities and you know, we can look at so many things. We see the racism in the world. We see all of the conflicts, all of the challenges. We see things like COVID, pandemics. We see things like the bubonic plague. And we see all these different things, the Spanish flu, these things that have happened throughout history where so many have died. We see empires rising up and slaughtering thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of people throughout history. We see absolute atrocities all throughout our history. And so it's, a, it's an easy assumption to make. And it's a, I say, a normal human assumption to make to say, well, if all of those things are going on and God is all powerful, then why are those things happening? And if he is all powerful, you know, in other words, if he's all powerful, that would mean that he could stop those things. And if he's not stopping those things, then conclusion B is he must not be good. He must not be all good. So the thing is, whenever we start, with a presupposition, we start with a bias, we start with a preconceived notion or idea, whatever it might be, that thing is always going to, at the very least, influence the outcome of our decisions. As we see things happen, as we experience things, as whatever. And so if our assumption is coming from a place of if God is all powerful and evil is happening, then God must not be all good. Then of course, we're going to end up with a particular belief system on the other end of that thought process. But the thing that we factor out in all of that is that God gave us free will. And when God created Adam and Eve in the garden, Essentially, God created mankind and he placed them in the garden to tend and to keep it. The call was be fruitful 
and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. But in Genesis 1.26, God says, or it says, it, the Bible says that God made man. Um, well, God's talking amongst himself because he's a triune God. And he says, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. Then he says, let them have dominion. Let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea, the birds of the air, everything that creeps on the ground and over the whole earth. And so God gives dominion and authority to mankind, not just man. That word man there is the word mankind. It includes man and woman. He gave us, he gave us mankind. He gave mankind authority and dominion to rule and to reign here on this earth. And man took that. This is all the way back in the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Mankind took that dominion and that authority and essentially passed it over to the enemy in their disobedience to God. When Adam and Eve chose to take matters into their own hands, to eat of the fruit that God said not to eat, to eat from that tree that God said not to eat from, because they were tempted, essentially, you know, Eve was tempted by the serpent to say, well, God knows that if you eat from this tree, the only reason he doesn't want you to eat from it is because he knows your eyes are going to be opened. You're going to know good and evil and, and all that kind of stuff. And so the assumption there, my, my thinking on that is, and it doesn't explicitly say this in the verse, but but my, my assumption there is that Adam and Eve, maybe it was Eve and then Adam or both of them together, the, the way the text is written, it kind of indicates to me that Adam was there with her. It says that, and she gave to her husband with her and he ate as well. So Eve is the one kind of perpetuating this conversation with the serpent. I don't know at what point Adam came up, if he was there the whole time or whatever, but they did it together. They broke the command of God together. They disobeyed together. They both made a choice. And the, uh, the assumption that I make there, and I don't think it's a stretchy, I don't think it's an elastic assumption to make based on the language that the serpent used to deceive her, is that, well, maybe God wants to hold this thing back from me. God wants to keep this thing off limits because ultimately he's hiding something from us. Ultimately, he's holding this thing back that's actually going to be for our good, for our benefit. And so he's holding it back and he doesn't want us to have it because he wants to be the one that maintains that power over us. But if we do this, then maybe we don't need him anymore. If we have all of the knowledge, the knowledge of good and evil, if we choose to have that knowledge then maybe we can actually do this on our own. And it's that humanistic, prideful desire to be independent of God, to be independent of a creator, to not have to depend on a creator, to not have to depend on God, to not have to live by faith, but to be able to depend on ourselves, to depend on our own humanity. It comes up in daily life like, all the time, the temptation that is to do things in our own strength rather than in agreement with the spirit of God who lives inside of us, rather than with our shepherd who leads and guides us, whose leadership in our lives is absolutely perfect, right? And so essentially saying, okay, well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to eat this fruit that's off limits 
because maybe at the end of the day, I don't fully believe that God is 100% for me. And I talk about this all the time. God is not holding back from his sons and his daughters. And the only reason something is off limits or something is um, not readily given at a, at a given season or whatever is because God has something better for you. Everything that God does in your life, in my life, in all of our lives, is to lead us into a greater level of freedom, a greater experience of freedom in our lives. Every single time, that's what God does. And so anyway, back to Neil deGrasse Tyson. So Neil deGrasse Tyson is saying, you know, when I look around the world and I see all these atrocities, I have to, you know, mathematically or scientifically or logically, reasonably, whatever, I have to come to the conclusion that if God exists, you know, he's not saying he believes God exists or not, but he says, if God exists, He's either not all powerful or he's not all good. He can be one or the other, but he cannot be both. To believe that factors out the dominion, the authority, the three, the free will that God gave to his sons and his daughters. The Psalms tell us that God gave the earth or he created the earth for people, for humanity that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he's given to the children of men. And so this, this world, you and I, we have dominion and we have free will. And there are absolute atrocities going on in the world today. There is more slavery happening in the world today than ever before. Um, there's entire countries. Like if you just look at North Korea, for example, this is a country where the people are 100% enslaved. The only people who have a decent life for the most part is the government. The government takes all the money from the people. They don't allow the people to have anything. They don't give food to the people. The people are are forced to basically go out into the fields, public land, wherever they can go and find things to eat. So people are eating bugs. They're eating flowers. They're eating things like that just to survive. There's so much death that happens there. There's so much torture that happens there. The imprisonments that happen. Like if you break the law in North Korea, you can go to jail for the rest of your life, but then they'll send it down to like multiple generations. So like depending on what you did wrong, the, the sentence is you go to prison for the rest of your life, your child goes to prison for the rest of their life, and your grandchild goes to prison for the rest of their life. Even if they're not born yet, they will be born into imprisonment because of what you did. And it might not even be that bad of a crime. Like it's absurd what the, what they have to live under those conditions. And there are horrible conditions that go on all over the world where people are taken advantage of. Of course, it happens right here in our country as well. People being taken advantage of people being murdered, people being raped, people um, just being exploited. And then that's all the stuff that's being done by other people, not to mention the things that just happen because of the world that we live in today with all of the sickness and disease 
um, deformities, all of these different things. And so I get it. I get the assumption. I get coming to that conclusion of being able to look at that and to say, well, if all this is happening and God is not preventing it, either he's not all powerful or he's doesn't really care all that much about us because either he can't stop these things from happening or he's choosing not to stop these things from happening. If he can't stop these things from happening, then what do we owe him allegiance for? Because he's not all that powerful anyway. And if he can stop those things from happening and he's not, then what do we owe him allegiance for? Because he's a jerk. And so that's ultimately what Neil deGrasse Tyson is getting at here in a nutshell. It's, and, and I, I don't know where this conversation went and I, I don't assume that it went to this place, but I think that the undertone in what he's saying, the undertone in this kind of thinking is essentially what does it even matter anyway? If that's the case and he's not both all powerful and all good, meaning he either can't do all the things that a God should be able to do, or he's not somebody we would want to follow anyway. So the conclusion there is, why does it matter if he exists or doesn't? Because we don't owe him anything and we shouldn't give our allegiance to him. So ultimately we can ignore him and we don't need to factor him into our lives at all. I think that that is the logical conclusion to this kind of thinking. But this kind of thinking, even though it might make some like rational sense just thinking about things, like A plus B equals C, okay. But God is not math. And God is not defined by, by mathematical equations. God is above this. And so it's different when we come to God with the belief and the understanding that he is good. And so if we're not starting from that place of accepting that he is good, accepting what the Bible says about God, that it, that it says, it tells us that he is good, that he is fully good, that he is all good, that he is only good, and that he is always good. If we are not coming from that beginning in our line of thinking and reasoning, then of course we're going to end up in a wrong place because we're going to begin defining God by the circumstances of the world that we live in and inevitably get to the conclusion, well, if this is happening and God's not fixing it, A plus B equals God is not fully good. So we can't start from that place. We can't start from that place of if God is good. We have to start from that place is God, you are good. And so now the goodness of God can begin to define our world and our circumstances and the circumstances of the world around us. Here's the thing. God is not causing or sanctioning any of the atrocities that are going on in this world today. God didn't sanction the, the COVID pandemic. God is not sanctioning the starvation of people groups. God is not sanctioning these terrorist attacks. God is not behind this stuff. God is not for this stuff. Here's the thing. The Bible says, um, Jesus says, it is not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's not my will that any should perish. So if we take this line of reasoning that in order for God to be all good and all powerful, that there shouldn't be any problems or challenges in the world, then what Jesus said would completely contradict that. It's not my will that any should perish. Well, if your will is that everybody should come to the saving knowledge of Jesus, if your will is that all be saved, that nobody die in their sin, but that all be saved and all go to heaven and all have these happy lives, if that's your will, then why is it not happening? 
And so we have to remember that we have free will. Free will here in the world means that people are going to hurt other people. Free will means that people are going to do all kinds of things that lead to, I mean, look, we can point our finger at God and say, God, why why is there so much disease and sickness in our world today? But it's people, it's humans. I can't say 100%, but it's a, a lot of it is people and humans that have like done all kinds of things to mess up our food supply, <laughs> to mess up the environment, to mess up the soil, to mess up all these different things. So like we're inadvertently consuming microplastics and phthalates and all these different things that are going into like our, our bodies, the pollution in the air and all these different things that are affecting us. That's leading to increases in disease, increases in inflammation that cause disease down the road and challenges and all these kind of things. And so it's easy for us to point our finger at God and say, God, well, you are supposed to be all powerful. So why are you not fixing these problems? But God gave dominion to the children of men who live on this earth. God gave dominion and authority here in this world. And we make a lot of bad decisions. And a lot of times those bad decisions lead to bad outcomes. So it's not as simple as saying, well, if God was really good, if he really loved us, he wouldn't allow this to happen to me. Well, stop starting from the presupposition that God is allowing that to happen to you. It's 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 not. We say, well, it happened, so that means God allowed it. No, 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 Listen, I, I love it, an illustration that Bill Johnson used on this uh, years ago. To come from the, the standpoint, well, God is not causing it, but God is allowing it. I think even that has to be reexamined. This is the illustration that he used. It's like, so the father didn't slap his son, but he allowed the neighbor to do it. What's the difference? So the assumption is, well, God didn't give me this sickness. God didn't give me this disease. God didn't take my job away. God didn't take my, you know, blow up my business. God didn't whatever. God didn't cause this tragedy to happen in my life, but he allowed it. And I just think that that's bad theology. It might not be, it might, it doesn't, okay, look, it doesn't sound as bad as God caused it or God did it or God wanted it. You know, a lot of Christians even still have the ideology or the thinking that God brought this trouble into my life to teach me something. And so ultimately, it's going to be for my good. That's bad theology. It's bad theology. Jesus stood up in the midst of a storm and rebuked it. If God sent the storm to teach the disciples something, And that means that Jesus, one part of the Trinity, was rebuking the Father's storm. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't work that way. God doesn't send a storm into your life so that you can exercise your authority to rebuke that storm. It just doesn't work that way. Storms come into our lives. Good things happen, bad things happen to both Christians and non-Christians. It rains on both the just and the unjust. It's scriptural. It's biblical. 
Some things, I believe, just happen as part of the nature of living in a fallen world. Some things happen because of the bad decisions that other people made. Some things happen because of our own bad decisions. But to take those bad things and to then point our finger at God and blame him for bringing that thing into our life or for not preventing it is missing the fact that all the way back at the beginning, God gave free will to his people. And that we actually have some authority and dominion and jurisdiction here on the earth. Now, what we do with that is horrible. There's a proverb, and um, actually, let me look it up real quick so I can give you the, the reference, because it's it's a really interesting verse. Um, let's see. It would be Proverbs, what is it? Proverbs 13.23. Yeah, Proverbs 13.23 says something like this, there is much wealth in the fallow ground of the poor, but for injustice, it is not realized. I can't remember exactly what it says. I'm not sure what version, this might be an NIV. The fallow ground of the poor yields much food, but it is swept away through injustice. Another version says much food is in the tillage of the poor, but there is that which is destroyed for want of judgment. And so the idea is that in the untilled ground of those that are impoverished, there is much wealth, there's much growth, there's much increase, there's much food, there's much to be discovered, there's much to be uncovered. But for injustice, a lot of times it's wasted. So because this question was posed to me one time on a podcast and, and it was kind of early on uh, in, in the podcast series. I can't remember uh, what episode it was, but, and honestly, I didn't have a very good answer for it at the time. I went back later and did some research and, and actually, and now I have a much more better response to this question. But the question was, well, if God's people are supposed to prosper, then how do you how do you reconcile that with the fact that there are people that are born into these impossible to escape situations like in other nations where people are born into some kind of a slavery situation, impover impoverished situation or something like that, where they're born into a place, an area in society like what we just talked about with North Korea. But there's many other places around the world where this kind of thing happens where people do not have a way out, people do not have a way of escape, and they are kept in horrible conditions for their entire lives. How do you reconcile that? How do you tell that person, this is a good question, how do you tell that person that they have a destiny, that they have purpose, that God wants them to prosper, that God wants them to be successful? How do you tell them that? And so this is one of the greatest arguments, and, and, and I don't just mean the, the biggest, I mean the like most maybe reasonable argument against the quote-unquote prosperity gospel. Now, I don't believe in the prosperity gospel. I don't teach a prosperity gospel. Some people might listen to me the way that I talk or teach about things and, and accuse me of teaching a prosperity gospel. I don't believe in a prosperity gospel, but I do believe that the gospel includes prosperity. God wants his people to prosper. Now, the world's version of prosperity is different than God's version of prosperity. And the, the I think what it comes down to is that God wants his people to be successful in everything that we do, in every area of life. And I believe that we demonstrate and we put God on display when we do that.
Now, what success or prosperity looks like for one person is different than what it looks like for another person. Ultimately, I think the most important metric there is, are you prospering? And are you prospering is, are you being obedient to the assignment that God has called you to? Are you being obedient to the assignment that God has called you to? But I believe that in that, whatever that assignment is, that God wants you to have more than enough. He wants you to have an abundance so that there's more than enough for you to fulfill that assignment in life. Now, how do you tell that to somebody who is born into poverty and they are their entire life unable to leave and not given any kind of resource or any kind of way out? I believe this verse gives us the answer here or at least it does a good job of answering this question, it's look for injustice. That injustice is not God's desire. It's not God's will. Just like when Jesus said, it's not my will that any should perish, but all should, but, all, but that all come to repentance. People were dying and perishing then just as much as they are today. It perishing in their sin and going to hell. That is not the will of God. It has never been the will of God, and yet it happens. So what that tells me is that not everything that happens in this world is God's will. It is not the will of God for those people to be in those unjust circumstances and to not be able to get a fair shake in life and to be able to actually realize their potential. That is not the will of God. It happens. It's going on. But it doesn't mean that God's doing it. He's not behind it. He's not sanctioning it. He's not even allowing it. It's not God putting his, his approval on that. Well, at least they're going to learn something from it. At least they're going to get something from this. That's not the heart of God. God doesn't need to bring somebody into poverty or into sickness or into destruction or tragedy in order to teach them something. Now, I do believe, I believe this with all my heart, that God is such a redeemer and that he is so good that he doesn't allow anything to be wasted. So in the midst of that pain, that suffering, that tragedy, when you choose to cling to him in the midst of it, he will definitely teach you things. And the Bible does tell us in Romans chapter 8 that he causes all things to work together for the good of them that love him and that are called according to his purpose. He causes all things to work together for good. God never said, this is good for you. This pain is good for you. This pressure, this, this sickness. Like, he, it's not saying that these things are good for you. It's saying that he is so good that he can take all of it coupled together with all the circumstances of your life and he can work it and use it for your good to bring about good in your life and through your life. Again, it doesn't mean that God's behind it. And me, my personal theological position is that it doesn't even mean that God is allowing it. I don't believe that he's allowing uh, it, it, the, the neighbor to slap you. Because that's just as bad. So, there's a lot of injustice in the world. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of sickness. God's not behind those things. And we have a lot of responsibility here because it was the will of God to set it up that way. Because otherwise, if God's all good and God's all powerful 
and the will of God is always being done perfectly, then that means that everybody is a Christian, everybody's saved, everybody's right, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's nothing, and essentially we're all robots and we all just blindly follow God because there's no other options. But God's will is that all come to repentance, that all come to salvation, that I believe that his will is that we prosper, that we be in health. Otherwise, 3 John 2 wouldn't say that. That we prosper, that we be in, in health, even as our soul prospers. God wants all that for us. But at the same time, he wants us to choose him. He wants us to choose to follow him, to choose to accept his love, to choose to love him in return, to choose to give our lives to him. He wants us to choose him. And unfortunately, a lot of people choose all kinds of other things that end up in all kinds of conflict and all kinds of pain and all kinds of challenges and all kinds of tragedies. And it's not fair for us to take that take those outcomes that essentially we, that humanity has caused, and to then point our finger back at God and say, God, why did you do this? He was loving enough in the first place to say, I want to create you with purpose, and I want to create you with free will. I want you to be free. I don't want to impose any of this on you. I want you to be free. He loved us that much to give us that agency of choice. I mean, nobody, well, some people do, but most people, so, so the people that believe that all the bad things are God's fault because he's not intervening, like they would never say when good things happen, look at God and say, oh, God did this for me. And so that logic doesn't really line up, right? Like if you don't, if you assume that all the bad stuff happens because it's God's fault, then you've got to assume that all the good stuff that happens, that was God's, God's fault as well. <laughs> So that logic doesn't really 100% hold up, in my opinion, right? So again, I think as far as like an atheistic or agnostic position or whatever, I think that that's a, it's one of the better arguments for disproving God or disproving our need for, for God or for a savior or whatever. But ultimately, I do, it, it just, it doesn't hold up. It really doesn't hold up. I have a friend who said, <laughs> I think he said it on my on my podcast a while ago. He said, I'm going to butcher it, but but the idea was that a lot of times we're blaming God for things that we really should be blaming the church for. Or we're blaming God for things we should be blaming his people for, something like that. So it's like, in other words, I think he said it more like this. Uh, we say that God has allowed all of this sickness that's going around in the world today and I really hope I'm not misrepresenting him here because I'm pretty sure this is what he said, <laughs> that God, that the church is allowing it. I know for sure he said that, that God's not allowing this sickness, that the church is allowing this sickness. In other words, that the people of God have not done a good enough job of standing up in the power and in the authority that he has given to us. See, when Jesus left this earth, he passed the baton, he passed the torch onto his disciples, and he said, now you guys run with this thing. You run into the nations, go into all the world, right? He says, you go. He says, all authority has been given to me, now I send you. 
So go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. How did Jesus teach? Well, he did, the beginning of Acts tells us, he did and then he taught. He would demonstrate the word of God. He would demonstrate the word with power. Power was never separated from Christianity, ever. Power was never separated from the gospel. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Jesus didn't separate these two things. He consistently demonstrated the word of God with power, with signs and wonders and miracles. And God has called us as the as his people, as his sons and his daughters to go into all the world. And we're supposed to go with that power in the name of Jesus, in his authority, with the backing of heaven to cast out demons, to raise the dead. Uh, what does Matthew 10, 8 say? Um, uh, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you've received freely give. We have freely received, God's people, we freely received the Holy Spirit, salvation, eternal life. Now we've got to go out and we've got to give that away. And I think we've got to do it on a much greater scale than the way that we're doing it today. We just do. We've got, there's a lot of, a lot of Christians that are just very comfortable staying in the four walls of the church. A lot of Christians that are very comfortable going to church for an hour and a half on Sunday, but never talking about their faith, never sharing their faith. And, you know, we've all got neighbors with messed up marriages. We've got neighbors that are dealing with depression. We've got neighbors that are dealing with sickness in their bodies and all kinds of things. And maybe, just maybe, God wants us and not maybe, this is not a maybe at all. God wants us to carry solution from heaven into these people's lives because he loves them and because he wants them to know him. It is not his will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so I just wanted to address these two kind of issues that kind of came just into my feed, into my world this week. They both impacted me for different reasons. And I just wanted to address these things. First of all, don't ever let anybody tell you or get away with telling you. And certainly don't let anybody ever convince you that what you believe is silly, that what you believe is not based in science, that what you believe is not based in something that actually makes sense because it 100% makes sense. I'm not saying it doesn't take faith to believe in a creator. I'm not saying it doesn't make faith to believe that Jesus died for you, rose from the dead. Of course it takes faith. But as far as creation goes, as far as the fact, lo looking at just the raw data, the scientific data, the scientific proof, what science has been unable really to explain because they come at this with a preconceived notion that this can't be here because of God. If they would open their eyes and open their hearts to the idea of God being the one who created this, I think the scientific community would recognize that creation, that, that fine-tuning of a creator just completely blows out of the water the theory of evolution, the Big Bang, all of that. And look, if, if, if you've ever had that thought or anybody's ever come to you with that thought that, 
you know, God can't exist or God can't be good or whatever because there's so much evil and so much suffering and so much pain in the world. You know, if God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? That kind of famous existential question. And it's, look, God is not causing these things. God is not sanctioning these things. God is not approving these things. It's people. Yes, it's people that he created. But we live in this world together and it's our it's our position it's it's our responsibility to express that dominion over this earth that dominion mandate from god over this earth not over other people not trying to you know take everything for a few people at the top to profit i mean things get out of hand quickly when we put humanistic intentions in the mix and we factor out god all kinds of twisted and perverted things happen when we factor out God. So if someone comes to you with that argument, just remind them, hey, look, it's not fair to say as a human species, as a human race, we're going to go our own way. We're going to do our own thing. We're going to factor out God. We're going to disobey God. We're going to do it all in our own power. And according to our own motivations, and then to look at all the problems that we've created and to point our finger back at God and say, you did this, God. No, 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 no. We did that. Humanity did that. So anyway, hope some of that made sense. Hope it was maybe something in there that, that blessed you or made you think or something like that. I do love and appreciate you guys very, very much. Hope you all have an amazing, wonderful, and blessed Thanksgiving. And uh, thanks again so much for joining me. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. You're the best. And I'll see you in a future episode.